Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host, and I'm glad to be with you today here on this day of Epiphany, an important day in the church year. It's the year that we remember the Magi. It's the, it's the day, I mean, we remember the Magi. It's the day that we see and celebrate the, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world, because that's who they are, that's who they represent. So today is an important day. We don't celebrate it all across the church. It's just a lot of churches don't even, don't have a special day for it, but in the Anglican tradition, we certainly do. It's an important day for us, because we're celebrating that, that revelation of, of Jesus to the world, that he is that light that shines in the darkness, that he is the one, that light that God says will go to the Gentiles. And so we're here today to celebrate that feast. It's an important day, and I'm glad to be with you. And it's an important and odd timing in, in so many ways um, because of what happened just a couple of weeks ago. We had the... Um, the star that many believe was the same star that was seen at the time of the birth by the Magi. And it's not a star, actually. It's a conjunction of planets. And so it, it looks like a star. And so a couple of weeks ago, when, it, when, it, when the conjunction happened, uh, Suzanne and I went up to the top of Bear Wallow Mountain uh, down in Girton and went up because there's a huge field up there, several hundred acres on top of the mountain at about 4,400 feet, and it's got a, a almost 360-degree uh, view up there. And so we went up that night, and uh, just not, not a bad hike. It's about a mile up there, and it's about 1,000 vertical feet of climb. But you can come back down a road, actually. It's uh, a gravel road. And so, you know, you knew it was going to be good footing coming back down. You could see well and all that kind of stuff. And so we got up there. There were probably a couple hundred people maybe up on the mountain. And people were there just to see that star. And so we all gathered. And it was really quiet for a while. And then some hipsters decided that, of course, it called for them to play drum for about five minutes um, and then fortunately, they left. Um, but it was still a time when people were looking to the heavens. They were looking to see this odd planetary alignment. And everybody wanted to be there. And it was a really cool moment to be there and watch this unusual thing. It's not all that unusual that it happens, but it's unusual that it can be seen the way it was. It's been about 800 years since it's been seen that that way. The, um, the thing that made it particularly interesting, the year that we believed that, that it was shown that the Magi came, was it happened three times in very short order. That same conjunction did. And that's why it caught their attention and caught their eye. That's the main belief around that timing of that. And so it, it still, though, captivates People, we, we look into the skies, and the skies have been plotted and plotted, and you can get all kinds of sky-watching apps that are so cool that you can see the skies, and it tells you where everything is. There are just there are a bunch of them out there. And it was really neat that night to watch that, um, that conjunction. And, and it wasn't horribly bright where we were. But again, the year that Jesus was born, this happened three times. And people observed it and watched it. And so I want to talk today about the Magi. I'm going to have to 
read scripture in order to do that. I'm not going to talk just completely off the cuff. So the Old Testament lesson is Isaiah 60, 1 to 6. So 60, 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So we, we've got the promise of what will come. And it's the promise that we still believe because we still believe the heavenly Jerusalem and all people will flock there to that place because we'll come there to seek after wisdom and knowledge from, from the Lord. Paul, in Ephesians 3, 1 to 12, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus, Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. And that's his story of the Damascus Road experience, when he lost his sight for a time and heard the voice from heaven, saying, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he says, who are you, Lord? And for the first time in history, a voice other than one revealing Yahweh said, I am Jesus. That's the revelation, the mystery that he's speaking of here. When you read this, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light to everyone. What's plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So Paul's saying that for a long, long time, this mystery that the Gentiles were fellow heirs with the Jews was hidden from the world, and it was made known to him, and now it's his joy and his job to go make that known to the world as well. And so I don't know how much you know about Paul, but, but it ends up that Paul um, it ends up in prison because he's accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. And it was a scandal that Paul, he was scandal even in the church, even among some of those in Jerusalem, that Paul was bringing these Gentiles in and treating them like they were equals. Even today, the, the basic attitude of the Jewish people to 
Gentiles is simple. And as they are the full heirs of the covenant, we can get in and participate in the world to come too if we just obey what's known as the Noahide laws, N-O-A-H, like Noah, I-D-E, Noahide laws. And, and they're very simple and straightforward. I'm not going to go over them right now. I'll put them up on the website. But the, the that, that if you just keep those, you'll be okay. And so whenever someone tries to convert to Judaism, one of the first things that the priest or, or the rabbi has to do, it, they have an obligation to try and talk them out of it. Because you just keep the Noahide laws and things will be okay. You don't want to actually become a Jew because then you'd be responsible for the 613 things that are there. So it's, it's okay. You just stay where you are. That's one of the ways in, in which they're, they're to attempt to dissuade a potential convert. <clears throat> so it, it, it's not an, an antagonism, but it, it is, there's a sense of, you know, you stay there and we stay here and, and it'll be okay. You don't want to do that. It's It's not... Uh, out of disrespect, it's it's not out of um, hatred or anything like that. It's just you'll, it's okay. You'll be perfectly fine. We'll keep the laws. We'll do all that stuff. You just keep those, and you'll be fine. So that's Paul saying, nope, nobody gets in through the six thirteen. You get in through Jesus. You get in through faith in the blood of Christ, the one who was crucified and rose again from the dead. So, and then, now let's get to the Matthew passage. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men, and you see the thing that troubles me about this whole idea of the conjunction being the explanation, it's that it came and rested, the star did, over the place where the child was. I can't account for that. And so I'm, I'm hesitantly but, but confidently at some level going to say that I think that that's exactly what's going on. You'll hear from me a little bit why I feel confident about that, more confident than that maybe I should. I'm not sure. I just happen to admire the person who came up with the idea greatly, and so that has something to do with my confidence level, I think. But maybe, maybe when I tell you a little bit about him, maybe you'll be more confident as well. So he, Jesus comes and is born, and this group of uh, wise men, from the east and who are these wise men and and why are we talking about these people and 
it's who should we think they are actually so in the book of daniel remember the king has two occasions where he has dreams and he's troubled by the dreams and so he goes to his wise men the chaldeans they're diviners they're astrologers astronomers um, and it's not wrong to, to sort of conflate astronomy and astrology in this context. And in fact, it's not even um, unfair to conflate those two things into about the 17th or 18th century because they were practiced sort of side by side by the same people all through that time. There was not really a distinction between those two uh, practices, in fact, um, some of the most well-known astronomers also cast horoscopes based on their, their readings, um, including the man we're going to be talking about in a couple of minutes. And so it, it's an astronomer and astrologer. Was not, those weren't two separate things until much later than you would ever imagine. And so it, the king goes to the Chaldeans and he tells them, I had a dream that troubles me. And I need some help. And they said, sure, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king says, no, that's not the way it's going to be played this time around. This time, you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they said, well, nobody can do that. And he says, well, if you can't do it, then I'm going to put you all to death. And both times, Daniel comes and, and saves the day. And he can do it. And so Daniel gives both the dreams and the interpretation. And so the Chaldeans are a group of people who are, who are beholden to Daniel. But more than that, they're also intrigued by Daniel, and they realize that he has a wisdom and an understanding greater than their own. Sort of like the, the um, magicians in Egypt who can do the first couple of uh, miracles, signs, plagues, whatever word you want to use, that Moses does. But then suddenly they're no longer able to when, when the gnats come, when, when life, spontaneous life, is brought forth. They can no longer do this. They say, this is done by the finger of God. And it's the same basic thing going on with the Chaldeans because they see that they're the wise men of the kingdom of Babylon, and yet this Jew... It somehow has greater wisdom than they do. They, he, has, he has access to information and wisdom that they don't have access to. In fact, they thought nobody had access to that because it's exactly what they said. And now this guy Daniel does. And so they <clears throat> studied the Hebrew Scriptures because they realized that was Daniel's source book for wisdom. And so they, in that, divined some passage that led them to believe that the sign for the birth of the king of the Jews was going to be this star. And so they came in response to that star in honor of this man, Daniel, who had been among them 600 years before. And so the study of Daniel's source book had continued for all those centuries. So revered was Daniel in that place. So they came, and they're wise men, and they came, and they, they ask in Jerusalem, and Herod hears of this, and Herod had kind of a tenuous hold on, on his kingdom. And that part of the Roman Empire um, experienced, lived in the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome because of the power of Rome, 
But in that part of the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana was a tenuous peace. There had been insurrections on multiple occasions. Antiochus Epiphanes set up uh, an abomination of desolation in the temple, desecrated it by sacrificing a pig in God's holy temple. And the people revolted against that. There had been several revolts during that period of time. And so Herod was seen as weak. He was seen as unable to maintain the Pax Romana because of these Jews. So Herod's threatened by the king of the Jews because the king of the Jews will threaten his kingdom and therefore his kingship. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so he tries to, to trick the wise men into essentially serving as his emissaries and then telling them to come back and tell him where this child is so that he can worship him too, he says. And it's interesting that it's like 11 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And it seems that the wise men went by themselves Herod called a convocation of his leaders and the Jewish leaders to ascertain where this king is to be born, and he gets the answer, and the wise men have come from the east, and yet when they depart Jerusalem, they depart alone. That didn't impress anybody enough to go 11 miles with them. So this great revelation that has come, three guys, maybe, we're not sure exactly how many there are, but they go alone. And then God warns them in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they go to their own country by another way. And that's the preface, really, to Sunday's lesson from a couple of days ago when we talked about um, the killing of the babies, that Herod killed the babies in response to not knowing. And we see this same basic theme played out in Revelation 9 when the woman is about to give birth and then the dragon attempts to come and take that baby. And then the Lord whisks the baby and the parents away. And it's, the, it's that scene that's in mind that from Matthew 2 in that piece of the revelation given to John. But here we have these wise men come and you can just imagine how the holy family felt when these men come and they come and worship and they come alone so we've got shepherds and these guys from Babylon who have come and everybody in Jerusalem knew at that point they'd been told surely by the shepherds and and whoever you know whatever gossip got from Bethlehem to Jerusalem about this. And now, in addition, there have been these three wise men from the east come to, to pay honor and worship the Jewish king. And, and yet nobody saw fit or saw the need to go. Mary and Joseph's reaction to that must have been something more like, huh. But people still are searching for inspiration from that star. And so here we turn to that star as well. And, and what does it all mean for us? How do we think about epiphany? And, and do we just say, oh, that's a great thing? Or, or do we find something in it for us? And, and let me tell you a, a quick story about somebody. 
there's a guy named Johannes Kepler. Kepler was born um, in 1571. He was born in the Holy Roman Empire, and he was a native of Germany as far as his nationality is concerned. He was a sick child from poor family. As a child, he had smallpox, and so he had very weak vision and very crippled hands, which is pretty amazing because he became the most important astronomer and mathematician of his time. So you've got an astronomer who can't see well, and you have a mathematician with crippled hands who's doing enormous amounts of calculations in both, in or in all fields is probably a better way to say it. So he, as a young child, even though he's from a poor family, he had attracted attention because he was such a brilliant child. And so he got a scholarship to the university in Tübingen in Germany, and he was going to study for the Lutheran ministry. But while he was there, he became um, enamored of mathematics. And so he became an incredible world-class mathematician. And one of the strange things is he wrote the first sort of outspoken, scholarly, full-throated defense of Copernicus, who had been spurned by the church because he had suggested that we live in a universe where we, Earth, revolve around the sun, not the other way around. And so he had been anathematized by the church. And so here comes um, Kepler to defend and support Copernicus. He was one of the very first people to do it. And he was 25 years old when he wrote this. And the, the book is titled The Mysterium Cosmographicum. And so what the basis for Kepler's belief, but also his study of the heavens, was really, really straightforward and simple and fascinating. He believed that there was a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world, that the universe itself was the image of God. The sun corresponded to the Father, the stellar sphere, all the, the other planets and, the, and bodies like the stars, correspond to the sun and that the intervening space was the Holy Spirit. So he believed that in studying the heavens that he would know more about God. He believed also that God created um, the cosmos in an orderly fashion. And so he began then to say, okay, if it's created in an orderly fashion because he believed in a certain kind of God, then he believed that we, being created in the image of God, giving a, a, a sort of rational mind, could comprehend the laws that govern and created the universe. And he believed that that was most profoundly true in the study of astronomy. His, a phrase that's attributed to him is, I am merely thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, he believed that the mind of God created the universe and that his mind in some way corresponds to our mind and that rational thought is not just a human trait, it's also a trait of God. And therefore, by using and applying your rational mind to the problem of the laws of the universe that you could actually understand those things. In fact, God wanted us to understand those things, is Kepler's belief. And so that drove every single thing he did. So everything he did, was in all his scientific endeavors were infused with his Christian faith. 
he applied his faith to his study. He didn't have two separate spheres for those things, as we're too often told needs to be done today. But it's funny that a guy like Johannes Kepler, who discovered the the fact that planets travel in an elliptical orbit, not a circular orbit, and that along that elliptical orbit, there's a there's a pull that causes them to go faster the closer they are towards the thing around which they orbit, and slower on the far side of that orbit. Those were two of the most important discoveries ever made. And he made those with imperfect numbers that he knew were imperfect. They were somebody else's numbers, but Daiho Brahe, whose place he took in Prague in 1601 when Brahe died, and he was the, um, the, the main mathematician for the entire empire. And so he took over Brahe's calculations, knowing that Brahe's calculations were not perfect. And he, again, he's doing all this by hand, obviously, and he's a guy with crippled hands. And so he, he calculates the orbit of Mars and comes to the conclusion that, wait a minute, there's two things going on here. This thing is not revolving in a circle. It's revolving in, a, in this long elliptical thing, looks like an egg-shaped, sort of around the sun, and not only that, he's accounting for the entire orbit about the timing of when Mars is in any of those orbits, and he decided that after he did that, he couldn't, didn't have time to do, you know, every calculation for every planet, but he said, if that's true, if Mars's is true, and, and if these two laws are truly laws, that it's elliptical and that there's variation in the speed, then I can plot every other as well because we're not colliding on a constant basis. And he did. But he's the first person to come up with that idea. And he comes up with it because he believes certain things about the universe that allow him to discover things and and to trust that if this is true, then this is also true because it's rational. And so he comes up with the first two laws of interplanetary motion. That second one, by the way, about the speed of things has to do with the pull of things. And pull becomes also then the basis for Isaac Newton and others to form the law of gravity. He changed the way people thought about everything. He came up with and was the father of two other things, um, integral calculus and also logarithms, that he proved that you could logarithms were a mathematical function. And so he came up with that. He also came up with the idea for how to do a telescope. He was the first person to realize how the eye actually works, how it uses, it, it refracts an image rather than just pulls it in. He was the first person to to come up with eyeglasses for both nearsightedness and farsightedness. I mean, the man was able to do amazing things. He was the first person to study snowflakes and come up with the hexagonal design for snowflakes and says this is how things actually are, and then proving from that, extrapolating that, to the best way in order to pack shipping crates to maximize the volume and what could get in there. It's amazing. And he did that just basically for fun for a friend of his. And in the process, along the way, he was poor, he was broke often because he was not Roman Catholic and he lived in the Holy Roman Empire. And so he was constantly under pressure there. And so there were many jobs denied to him because of 
his Protestant faith. The other side of it is he wasn't fully Lutheran because he didn't believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. And so because he didn't and because he was a man of integrity, he wouldn't sign the formula of Concord that said he believed that. And so he was barred from communion within Lutheranism. The man was betwixt and between all the time. He was only faithful to one thing all his life, and that was Jesus. And he was faithful to the things that he believed and knew about God. And he was faithful to that in every single aspect of his life. To his own detriment in some ways, but to the benefit of the entire world. His faith infused every single thought the man had. And because it did, then we have so much knowledge coming into the world through one man that it's almost impossible to believe that he could have accomplished all these things. But it was for one simple thing. He didn't care about politics. He cared about truth. He didn't care. So, so he was under fire from both sides all the time. He didn't care about what anybody thought about what he said. He cared about truth. And the things that he pursued were the truth. And he believed that truth was based in one simple thing, his understanding of the God who created it all. So it's the single-mindedness with, to truth and the pursuit of truth, no matter who goes with you on that road. Remember the wise men, everybody knew truth, but the wise men are the only one who pursued it. Kepler was a man who knew truth and pursued it in spite of great pressure to move in different directions. And Kepler becomes one of the most famous and the, one of the most amazing men who ever lived. And I'll do more and more on him. Um, but what I'm saying to you is, is, is that, that, that a lot of people were up on that hillside with us that night looking at that star because it was an amazing thing. Most people weren't there because they believe in truth, not the truth that we're talking about. What I'm saying is, is that if we become people who are dedicated to pursuing that truth, and that truth infuses then everything that we do, then imagine what God can do through us whatever field of endeavor we might be in, do it for the glory of God and do it because you believe Him. There's not a single thing you do that shouldn't be done in that way and through that. And that's my goal for this year for me. I've got those two goals, basically. One is the Dainu way of, of thinking about things. If he had only done this, it would have been enough. That's causing me and forcing me to become more thankful for things. Because once I say it would have been enough if he did this, then I have to take in mind, but that isn't all he did. Oh, that's right, John. And so you break it down to the simplest thing. And then once you start at the simplest thing, then add on the next thing and say, if he'd only done this, then it would have been enough. And then keep on. And so that changes the way I think about everything in my life. And, and Lord knows we all need to be more thankful this year because there was so little in so many ways to be thankful for last year. And so that those are my two sort of res, spiritual resolutions, is to live in a more Dainu kind of way as far as my thankfulness is concerned, and then also to, to ask God, show me how my belief in you changes what I do in this realm of my life, in that realm of my life. Bring him into every single thing, and maybe you'll see more incredible productiveness, but mostly what you'll be able to see is more revelation of Him. 
because that's the purpose. The purpose is to see him more and more and more. But in order to do that, then we have to say, Lord, I know that I'm supposed to do everything to the glory of God, so show me, because I have no earthly idea how to do this thing for the glory of God. And so let this be a time when we look on that star and wonder and we remember men like Daniel whose faith moved mountains and 600 years after his death, men were still studying the scriptures because they wanted to find the wisdom in them that Daniel found in them. He inspired those men. And then beat a man like Johanna, or woman like Johannes Kepler who believed that what he believed was a greater source of inspiration and knowledge and revelation because he remembers the one who discovered these first two laws, first three laws really of interplanetary physics among all kinds of other things but he would say I'm positive the reason I discovered all those things was because I believed in that one and Kepler was the one who calculated the year of Christ's birth and tied it into this triple conjunction so the reason that we were all out there to see that triple con conjunction ultimately relates to Johannes Kepler and the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. So this year, maybe ask God how your belief in Him can change what you do in every aspect of your life, in your relationship with others, in your work, and in everything else that you do. John Green, this is faith seeking understanding and, I, and I'm glad that you're here today and I look forward to being here with you again on Sunday.